0: brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful." But above all, brothers, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation.
1: Be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. He looks at himself, goes away, and at once forgets what he's like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Father, we pray for our our hearts that as we hear your word, as you... Uh, encourage us, as you uh, challenge us, we pray that we might be people who are open to your loving encouragement and your loving challenge, knowing that we're looking into the law of liberty, that your ways are, are ways that free us and help us, and that as we live out your word, we will be blessed in the doing of it. And so we pray for your strength this evening, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we think about patience uh, this evening. I wonder how patient uh, you would describe yourself as as being um, we've all been there in the car journeys. Uh, you know what it 's like um, you, you've got a, a three or four or five hour car journey ahead of you, and uh, you've you've barely left uh, the road that you live on and a little voice in the background uh, pipes up and says, "Are we nearly there uh, yet?" We all know what that's like we've all We've all done it, and at that point, you know it's going to be a very long journey ahead of us. Um, adults, we have our own version of of that, I guess. We're impatient in various ways. We sit at the GP surgery and we sort of we drum our fingers as 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 we wait. Uh, we're in the supermarket queue and and we find ourselves tutting at the f- person two or three uh, ahead of us. We're we're naturally impatient. We struggle with, with patience. Someone reminded me just before of the, um, of, of the prayer of patience, the sort of, Lord, give me patience and give it now, that sort, of, uh, that sort of thing. Now, patience is essential in the Christian life. It's essential. We have to learn patience. In fact, if we don't learn patience... We we won't wait for heaven. All of the the blessings, ninety nine point nine percent of the blessings, more than that, are are in the world to come. Life is hard but short. But we have to learn patience; otherwise, we'll we'll wander off, and we're in in danger of not making it it there. And so, these next thirty minutes, I trust in God's hands, are crucial for for each of us here in the room or or at home, that we might. Listen and, and be encouraged to be patient as Christians. Now, we're in the book of James, if you're joining us this evening, um, we've been looking at it for a few weeks now. We've been seeing that it reveals genuine faith on the one hand and fake faith. On the other and uh, that is revealed in lots of ways that we've seen so far in the book it's revealed in our tongues it's revealed in in our works our lack of works or our our works it's revealed in our treatment of the weak, and it's revealed in our response to trials trials of various kinds as James says at the start of of the book now last week we were in the first bit of chapter 5 and it was a warning to to the rich and a warning to all of us that the attitude of um, of the rich, of a sort of an arrogant um, owning of, of life and and oppression of of the weak, that that can infect a church. That we need to be on our guard. And and now, notice verse seven. We're at page one two one eight. If you've lost your place, it'd be good to open it. Page one two one eight. And in verse seven, we turn to the, to brothers again, to the believers, to brothers and sisters who often bear the brunt of the rich's oppression or injustice. And James is saying in these verses that there is great comfort to know that Jesus will return. There's great comfort to know that Jesus will return when life is hard, when trials are tough, and when we experience injustice and oppression. And so today we hear that genuine faith is patient faith. And the headline for us is up on the screen there. It's to wait patiently until Jesus returns. That's what we're being called to do uh, this evening by God. Wait patiently until Jesus returns. And, and really we, we get um, four outworkings of that. We'll see them. The couple, there's a positive and then a, neg- a negative. Then there's another positive and, and then a negative. So let's go through them in, in turn. Let's start in verses 7 to 8. And let's see first of all the positive, which is to choose your horizon. And, uh, and that's really my summary of that, that verse, um, verse 8, establish your hearts. We'll get to that in a minute. Let's read verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. So be patient, you notice, know, therefore. Therefore, links to the verse before, so James is saying from the first bit, he's saying, I know that you're up against it. I know that you may be being unjustly treated, maybe by the rich and the powerful, by the world. Therefore, in light of that, be patient. Now, perhaps in the light of of such treatment in verses 1 to 6, we may hope that he would say something like uh, to the poor, you know, rise up and revolt. We might expect that the Bible would say something Uh, of that. Now the Bible does say rightly that we can and that we should seek justice now through the right channels. absolutely right to do so. Um, But he's already said in in chapter 1 verse 20 that human anger doesn't produce the righteousness of of God. And the Bible is very realistic that even where justice is rightly pursued in this world, um, final and full justice doesn't actually come until well until Jesus returns and that's what he's talking about in in these verses that's where full and final justice happens and and he does put an end point on it he says be patient until the coming of the lord he doesn't just say be patient just hang in there you know suck it up he says there is a definite end point to that so be patient until that day happens and he uses this word patient three three times it's it's a word that's got a a sense of sort of passive waiting for something that you can't really do, do much about to change. Like when maybe you, you wait for a wound uh, to heal. You just, you just have to wait. Or the illustration that he gives here. that The farmer who has to wait for, for the crops or has to wait for the rains to come. You know, those two times of the year in, in uh, the ancient Near East. There's nothing the farmer can do to speed those up. He just has to wait and be patient for that. And so, arable farming back then and today, you just spend a lot of your time waiting. And if you've watched um, Jeremy Clarkson on, on on his show on the on the farm where he's bought this farm, it's a big surprise to him how much waiting there is to do. You know, he just thought, that, you know, it just has to wait. It's just very mundane being a farmer, just sitting around waiting. And the farmer here in these verses pins his hope on the early and the late rains. And the illustration is there to to tell us that you and I, if we're believers, are to pin our hopes on the coming of of the Lord, the return of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that he will return. The the Old Testament prophecies about Jesus' first coming... And they waited a long time for, for that, but he came. And there are even more prophecies about the second coming of the Lord. And though it might have seemed like a long time that we've been waiting since his first coming, the Bible says he will come, and surely he will. But the question for us, I guess, is how are we getting on with the wait? How are you, how are you going on that at the moment, waiting for the return of Jesus it can be tough, can't it? But I guess the question for us is, uh, when are we expecting that everything will finally be okay? That's, that's the question for us here. Maybe we have different horizons that we have before us that, that we're, we're pinning our hopes on. Maybe we say, everything will be okay when I get to retirement. And so I'm waiting until then, that's, that's the horizon that I've set bef- before me. Or maybe we say, you know, everything will be okay when I get to the end of that, that work project or, uh, or the holidays or the end of my university exams. And so I'm waiting until then. That is my uh, horizon. And yet we know if we're honest, that every one of those horizons in the past is usually disappointed. And the ones that we set before us will, will surely do the same. The number of people who get to retirement pin their hopes on it and, and it's not as they turned out. Or, or a health issue comes along that just destroys all of their hopes and, and dreams. Um, we know what it's like to pin our hopes on a fantastic holiday and just the, the weather just lets us down. It's not the dream that we hoped for. And and so James is saying, all of these horizons will disappoint. And so we are to wait and set our horizon until the coming of the Lord. That is the one to, to wait for. And in fact, the, the, the word that's used in verse 8 is a stronger one than that passive word, be patient. Establish your hearts, says James. Establish your hearts for that day. It's the same word that's used in, in, in Luke chapter 9 where Jesus sets his face to go to Jerusalem. Other translations say he sets his face like flint to to go there. In other words, he knows that between here and there is is pain, is suffering. But he sets his face to go there. And so you and I are are to have a steely resolve to establish our heart, something more, more active, Something determined to continue on the right path until Jesus returns in spite of difficulty. And so I don't know if you ever um preached to your hearts. There was a preacher called Martin Lloyd Jones who said that most of the problems in the Christian life come because we we sort of listen to our hearts and our worries rather than preaching to ourselves. And sometimes he said, we just need to, and I know some of you sat under his, in his ministry, we just need to take ourselves in hand and speak to our hearts and preach to our hearts and say, come on soul, keep going. And I guess there is a sense in that of establishing your hearts, of, of saying to ourselves, now come on, your hope is not going to be satisfied in any of these interim horizons. You, you have to set your hope on the return of Jesus. And so keep waiting until then. Because James says, then and only then, then and only then, will everything finally be okay. And more than okay. Glorious. And so James is saying, choose a horizon that doesn't disappoint. And he says, you know, you can endure if you have that endpoint in in view. So if you went to see your, your doctor and your doctor said to you, You have a you have a condition that is gonna be very, very painful for a few months, but it will pass and at that point you'll be fully healed. If you knew that, if you had that as a cast iron certainty, you'd be able to endure in the meantime. And God, our physician, if you like, he says that life is painful, life is hard, but 20 or 30 years from now, whenever it is, when you die or Jesus returns before then, there will be full healing. There will be. For all of the sadness and injustice of life, it will be over. And in fact, James says, if you notice in the verse, he says, it's at hand. It's, it's, it's near. Now, now, not at hand in the sense of um, the, the sort of time span. In a, in a sense, it's been um, you know, a couple of thousand years since Jesus walked. The point is that nothing now stands in the way of that All of the major events that need to happen before Jesus can come back have happened. His death for our sin, his resurrection to life, the giving of of the Spirit. Nothing stands in the way. They've all happened. And so the return of Jesus is the next thing that God has in his his diary, so to speak, for the world. And so, James says, be patient until the coming of the Lord. Practically speaking, that doesn't mean that we have to sort of Summon ourselves up for all of the strength that we're going to need for that. The Bible breaks it down. You know, do today. It's good practical wisdom, says Jesus. Tomorrow we'll worry about itself. Do today. Or the Bible would say, come back next Sunday for more encouragement. You See, the Bible breaks that weight down. Just come back next week and be encouraged again. But there's the first thing. Choose your horizon as you wait patiently. It hits the second, and it's the, a negative. It's resist. Grumbling. Let me read verse 9. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Now, notice again here are verses to do with the tongue. We've seen that so far in, in the book, um, back in chapter 3. Perhaps we can see now why grumbling might be a temptation. Because here are Christians who are in the midst of trials, some experience injustice. And James is essentially saying, put yourselves in God's hands, wait, trust him. But of course, that's not easy to do. It's much easier to take matters into our own hands. And one way that we do that, very often we all do it, is to grumble, is to moan against a brother or a sister. We take out our frustration at a stressful situation against a brother or a sister, a fellow believer. We, we stop speaking to people, as we heard last week. We start speaking about them. And God says to all of us, to you, to me, stop that, resist that. Don't do it. And the reason that he gives is a sobering one. He says, so that you may not be judged. I think that's similar to end of verse 12. So that you may not fall under condemnation. He's writing to Christians, so I don't think he can mean um, that you will be eternally condemned. Um, But maybe something along the lines of that you might not fall under the Lord's loving discipline in in this life as you do so. And to strengthen that, if we're not taking this this thing about grumbling seriously, James adds a phrase. He says, behold, look, the judge is standing at the door. Don't, Don't muck about on this one. God takes this sort of behavior seriously. Now, those of um, well, we all can remember, I guess, back at, at school, um, the mayhem that can happen uh, when a when a teacher goes out of the room. They go and do a little bit of photocopying or something. Although I I said this morning, I said this this morning, and someone came up to after me who was a teacher and said, "I would never leave my classroom. I would never. I know the mayhem that would happen." But we remember it as a as a you know. I remember as a teacher. You go out of the room. You come back in. You'd look at the whiteboard. You think, I don't think I drew that strange picture up there. I wonder who who did. What's going on there? And you come back in, and you know people are climbing on desks or doing. But the moment that changes things is when the teacher has their hand on the door handle. That is the moment. However far you've strayed around the classroom to be back in your seat, We, we all know that. And as the teacher is standing at the door with their hand on the door handle, they are hearing exactly what is going on in the inside. Of the room. And James is saying in a similar way, the Lord Jesus has gone away. He's coming back. but if you like, because all of the major events have happened of world history, it is as if he is now permanently with his door on the, with his hand on the door handle of history. And at any moment, at any moment, tonight tomorrow, he can push the door and walk. Back into his world as the judge of all of the universe that he is. And as he stands with his hand on the door handle, he hears, if you like, what's going on inside the room in the church and in our hearts. And so James is saying, behave and and speak especially, speak especially as if Jesus is in earshot. Because he is. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. So there's the first positive and then the negative uh, off the back of that. But then let's come to the third way to act as we seek to be patient. And it is to copy past believers. Copy past believers. And so now he returns to this theme of patience. That's the main theme of the section. And he takes an example, verse 10. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job and have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So he said, let's take the prophets. I think, by the way, he takes the prophets because out of all of God's people, for the prophets, suffering just went with the territory. That's just what it was like to be a prophet in the Old Testament. They had things to say to people that people did not want to. To hear they knew more than anyone that the, the various trials of many kinds that James referred to in in chapter one they knew suffering but just look at verse 10 the surprise I think is they're an example of suffering and patience together because in one sense anyone can can suffer and be impatient and give up and anyone on the other side can be patient when there's no suffering But to do the two together, suffering and patience, that's hard. It's only possible with with God. And yet James is saying that it's not unrealistic to be patient in suffering. It's not impossible. It can be done. It has been done. We Christians in the West can often feel that suffering is abnormal for Christians, that it shouldn't be happening to us. But James is saying that's very normal. It's the pattern of all of the Bible for all of God's people. If life feels hard as a Christian, it's not because we've stuffed up as a Christian. It's nothing new. We follow a well-worn path. So think for a minute of prophets that you may have heard of, Jeremiah from the Old Testament, about 600 BC. He was betrayed by his family. He was put in stocks. He was put in prison. He was he was thrown in a well. Isaiah, uh, we, we think he's the one who's referred to in, in Hebrews 11, who was sawn in two. You know, that's what people seem to think. They, they were faithful. They, they persevered. And so James has encouraged us to think about how we use the tongue. But notice how they used the tongue. Did you notice that? They, they didn't grumble. They, verse 10, end of. They spoke in the name of the Lord. These prophets, they, they ministered to God's people in the midst of their suffering. They were encouraging other people. They were calling them to trust in God. They didn't think, in other words, I can only get on with this when the suffering dies down. No, there was suffering and there was patience and there was speaking in the name of the Lord all at the same time. A writer called Sam Albury put it this way in in his commentary on this. He says, "To, To those prone to using their tongues to grumble against each other, this is a wonderful encouragement to put them to far better use. What James is calling us to do is therefore neither novel nor impossible, and it does not render us incapable of either serving or witnessing. And James concludes this little bit by saying, We consider those blessed by God who remain steadfast. Now I would guess that Jeremiah and and, and Isaiah maybe felt that they weren't under God's blessing, but maybe it felt like they were under God's cursing. We may feel that too. But James is saying when we think about it, when we we consider, it's the word he uses, when we consider, when we think about it, we do actually hold up those who suffer and are steadfast as hearers of the faith. We we do. This uh, Friday it will be the the funeral and Thanksgiving for the um, the life of, of one who many of us have known in our church family over many years, a personal hero of mine and many, uh, John Williams from from our church family. If you don't know John, John suffered a de- degenerative disability that severely affected his limbs and his his speech, slowed right down in, in, in both of them he was reduced from a, a talented uh, drummer who played on the London music circuit to a, a man who, who walked from where he parked out there on his walking sticks very slowly over over to the drum uh, kit over there and was was only able to to, to tap out a, a beat. and yet he did it to the glory of God. <laughs> he, he used his tongue, In the midst of suffering and patience, to speak the the name of the Lord to others, to encourage them. He would often say to to you, you would know, and to me, God has been so good to me. John's favorite word apparently was wonderful. John was very real about the frustrations. He didn't pretend. He was far from being a, a grumbler. And friends, we consider him blessed by God blessed because he persevered and there are many living examples still among us as a church family of people who are doing that and James is saying to us we can do it too it's possible to do it people have done it in the past with God's help not easy but God can use the strange unlooked-for blessing of suffering to make us kind empathetic courageous big-hearted believers so that people will say at our funerals he or she had hard times but they resisted grumbling they kept going they trusted God all of the way to the end and you want that don't you let me appeal to the best part of you you want that in your best moments and James is saying it is possible as you look to the Lord as you trust him but we might ask how, and there's lots that could be said at that point. But just before he moves on, James gives a couple of pointers on that from the life of, of Job. Um, we consider, uh, sorry, you've heard of the steadfastness of Job. He says you've seen the purpose of uh, the Lord. And now the book of, um, of Job is, is uh, 42 chapters. So I thought we'd do a, a quick overview chapter by chapter. If I, no, I'm joking. Don't worry, don't worry. Job lost everything. Um, job lost his family, his possessions, his his health, and yet he 's known for suffering and patience. We say of people, don't we? He, she or the, they've got the patience of job, we say. Now job was real, he, he, he complained to God, he brought his, his complaint before God, and he clung to god both that's That's biblical faith. he persevered, he was faithful. and we get here a little hint of how. We're told there was a, there was a purpose. The, the idea is an end point. There was an end point of the Lord, a purpose of it. On the stage, it didn't look like it. From Job's experience, it felt very messy. Behind the scenes, we know from the start of Job that God was in control, that he had purposes in the heavenly realm for what he was doing. And we know that God did end it. And he will end our suffering. If not in this life in the world to come. And that's an encouragement to us. And yet where circumstances and trials are very confusing for us and the end seems far away, James says, cling to this about God. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. Cling to that about God. And uh, where we find that hard, the place that Christians go is the death of Jesus. That is how ultimately we know in all of our confusion that the Lord is merciful and compassionate. He must be because he gave his son uh, for us and the God that we meet in the book of James is not one who suddenly changes or has a dark shadowy side. He's a God who wants to make us through trials not to break us. The Lord is compassionate and merciful and if you're here and you're not yet trusting in Jesus for yourselves then the Bible would say that the God that you don't yet trust in is one who is full of compassion and mercy if you would come to him. So there's the third thing. We've had a positive and a negative, and uh, we've had another positive. Uh, copy believers from the past. And then finally, we get well, it's a, sort of, it's a negative but a positive. And, and the last one is speak with integrity. Speak with integrity. It starts negatively. Above all, verse 12, my brothers and sisters, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath. But let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. So again, James returns finally to this thing about speech, how we speak to one another matters. We can either build up or we can destroy with our speech. And so he says, don't don't swear He's not talking about rude words. There are other places that address cursing. He's talking about the swearing of oaths. And in context, he's calling us to to patient speech and not rash speech. It's not that oaths are universally condemned in the Bible. But what he's saying is in everyday speech, we shouldn't need oaths to make our promises reliable, to sort of buttress our, our word with, a, with an oath. We shouldn't have to use God's name or something else to, to do that. We shouldn't have to say, you know, I swear on my mother's life, as you hear people say, or, or look, look, I swear by heaven and earth, we say. James says we shouldn't need to do that. And in fact, last week we saw we're not in control of the future. This week we see we're not in control of heaven and earth. And so they're not ours to swear by. And James says we shouldn't need to. Because Christians should be people like their God, who are people of truth, who very simply just let our yes be yes and our no be no. You know, so the you know the boss asks us, you know, did you send the email? You know, or um, I was saying this morning, you know, your parent says have you done your homework? And it, James is saying if we have. We say yes. And if we haven't, we say no. We just tell the truth. We just say it straight. We avoid the lie, the half-truth, the exaggeration. We, we just tell the truth and we leave the outcomes to God. So if we, we haven't sent the email and the boss says, why haven't you and you should, if we just say, no, I haven't and I'm sorry. And, and, and we go forward like that. Boy would stand out as Christians if we were people who did that. If people trusted our our word, we were just people yes and no. And So James is saying our words matter, especially for Christians, especially for believers under pressure, because that pressure can tempt us to grumble or not be truthful or upfront with uh, one another, which are all versions of us saying, in effect, I know how to do life better than you, God. I can take things into my hands and do it my way and not yours. And James warned us of that attitude last week in chapter 4 when he said, in effect, who do you think you are? Your life is just a mist. You'd do better to look to God and humble yourself before him. To repent. And where we do that, there is always more grace. It doesn't mean that it's an easy path. God's way is often hard. But there is more grace as we follow Jesus. And he, of course, really is the example of suffering and patience. He really is the one who most truly we consider blessed by God. And he remained steadfast to the end and revealed that God really is a God who is full of compassion and full of mercy. So wait patiently until Jesus returns. Let's pause and have a moment of quiet just to reflect on how the Lord has particularly addressed us and then we'll pray. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Our Father, we uh, struggle with patience and patiently waiting for the return of your Son. We pray that you would help us to set that as the horizon, to know that all other horizons before that will not satisfy, will disappoint. But we know that his return will not. And so we pray that you'd help us to keep waiting patiently with the strength that you give by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.